Welcome to the Baseline Community Church Podcast. All right, well, good morning. Um, I'm so glad to be here (laughs) and speak about this today. Um, I am part of the racial justice leadership team that we have here at Baseline, so this is a topic that's um, really, I'm really passionate about and interested in, and I'm just really glad to share what God has really been doing in my life on this topic. So um, as Don said, we're in the series Breaking the Status Quo, and um, you know, last week he kind of started us off, so I'm going to take the football and keep running, I guess. Um, and I'm going to talk about some specific things that we can be doing so that we can have better conversations about race. Um, because we want to keep talking about this and keep leaning into this. And I just want to like even just acknowledge up front, like two sermons is not enough to cover all that we need to know about this and all that we want to learn about this. So the hope and the plan is that we will keep having spaces and ways to engage on this and learn about this together. And even just one that we have, we're planning and hopefully we'll be announcing officially in the next couple weeks is um, there's this organization called the Claremont Prison Library Project. And it's local, and they um, contact prisoners around the country and then send them books. And so that's something that we're interested in being a part of, and we'll be um, wanting to do that as a way to, again, lean into justice and, um, you know, look at something maybe we haven't looked at before. So uh, just keep your ears out for that as well. Um, But this morning, we will be in the book of Esther. So if you can get your Bibles out and open to the book of Esther. Um, It's probably a familiar story to many of you, but I encourage you this week, maybe take some time to read through the whole book. It's just 10 chapters um, because there's so many twists and turns, and we're not going to like get into all of it today. Um, We're just going to be looking at one chapter. But um, the main story of Esther that you need to know for today is that um, there's the king of Persia, and he decides to replace his queen because she has been disobedient. So he has all the young, beautiful virgins in the land kidnapped and brought to him, um, one of whom is Esther. So she is a Jew, she's living in exile, and she's been raised by her uncle Mordecai, um, but she keeps her background hidden from the king. Um, So he chooses her to be the new queen, And then one day, a law is passed in the land that all the Jews in the kingdom, every man, woman, child, is going to be executed on this upcoming day. So, um, and we'll just jump in right here in chapter 4. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hethak, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to attend to her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. 
He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for the people. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death, unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your family's father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. All right, there's, even in this chapter, there's so much going on. But as I was studying it and like, you know, thinking about this, I just see how this part of Esther's story um, has some takeaways for us that will help us navigate conversations about race and justice. Um, her story really demonstrates some postures that can transform us for justice and reconciliation. So, so chapter four that we're in, it starts out with this period of mourning for, from Mordecai and all the Jews. Well, all the Jews except for Esther. Um, prior to this, Esther was no stranger to injustice. I mean, she was a Jew in exile. She'd been forced into this demeaning marriage. Um, but at this point, she doesn't know what's going on. Um, so her initial response to Mordecai's lament is to send him some clean clothes. Like, it's a kind gesture. And maybe she was, you know, worried about him attracting, like, negative attention near the, cap the, the palace. Um, but it's not actually helpful. <laughs> like, she doesn't know the full situation. Mordecai doesn't need clothes, and he doesn't even really need comfort. He needs justice. So when Mordecai sends the clothes back, it's not the reaction that Esther expects to get. But it does succeed in alerting her to the fact that there's more to the story. She becomes curious, and her curiosity leads her to ask some questions. So this part of Esther's story just really resonates with me. Um, it might be a surprise to, for some of you to learn that I like, have not always been active or passionate about racial justice. Um, I mean, I am African-American, and I'm Puerto Rican. So as you might assume or guess, I mean, I have experienced some racism. Um, I have been called the N-word. I have been called slurs. I have not been treated fairly. Um, but I also grew up in mostly white neighborhoods and schools and churches. And so, you know, systemic racism was, was, racism was not something that was really visible to me. Um, I wasn't paying attention to the news. And so 
For a long time, I viewed racism as just an individual thing, like a one-on-one -on -one thing between people, or even just something that was in the past. And so, you know, about 10 years ago even, I was talking with a friend and I said, you know, I don't think racism is really a problem anymore. And my friend gave me a response that I will never forget. She didn't argue with me. She didn't lecture me. She didn't send me a bunch of articles to read. <laughs> she just kind of looked at me and said, really? Really? And that was it. It was just a really simple question. But it wasn't the response I was expecting. So it got me wondering, what was I missing? What if there was more to the story than I was aware of? Um, I you know, had to ask myself, like, what does she know that I don't know? And my curiosity started me on this journey of learning about this and asking questions. And I'm still very much on that journey today. So I think if we want to have better conversations about race, taking on a posture of curiosity is a great place to just start, like at the beginning. Um, I bet we've all seen conversations, maybe online, but where curiosity is really lacking. People are arguing, they're talking past each other, no one is really listening. And I think to break the status quo, we can adopt a posture of curiosity that allows us to enter into conversations about race without an agenda. You know, curious people can ask questions and receive answers without judging, even if we don't necessarily agree. Um, curiosity looks like being quick to listen and slow to speak, which is actually a great way to show love to the other person that you're talking with. Um, we want to be curious because it reflects the truth that we don't know everything. And God used Esther's curiosity to transform her and how she was engaging with Mordecai. If she doesn't move into curiosity and have that posture, she stays ignorant. She, you know, maybe she keeps trying to show Mordecai these gestures, but it's not in a way that he will receive. And she won't get to participate in the rest of the story, the part where we actually see God and his justice come. So I think if we want to be transformed and have better conversations about race, we need to start with a posture of curiosity. That's number one. So as a result of her curiosity, um, she does get the full story back from Mordecai about this death threat. And Mordecai tells her that she, you know, she's the one to go to the king to save the people. Um, Esther pushes back on this suggestion. And honestly, her hesitation is like understandable because if she would be breaking the law, she would, you know, she could be put to death. He's already banished another queen for not obeying. This guy's a little crazy. So, um, you know, it's understandable to, that she felt hesitant. But Mordecai reminds Esther of some important truths during that powerful speech in verse 13 and 14. He reminds her of the danger to herself if she doesn't speak. And he reminds her of the danger to God's people if she doesn't speak. And then he reminds her that the position and the privileges that she has can be used by God to bring about justice. Basically, Mordecai kind of calls her out. And because Esther was open to correction, 
it actually changed her mind. So I know personally from experience how rough it can be to get called out in conversations about race. Um, years ago, again, before my curiosity began, um, I wore a really dumb costume to a Halloween party. And at the party, this guy came up to me and he said that my costume offended him as a Mexican-American. And he said it was racist. So I am not proud of my reaction. I, I got defensive. I started arguing with him and I said, like, it's not racist because I'm Puerto Rican and um, I'm not intentionally trying to be racist or offensive and also I'm not a racist. So, you know, that's what I said. And we just got into this argument going back and forth and, you know, the, it, the conversation went nowhere. And unfortunately, it was much later that I realized two important things. First, he was right. I mean, I shouldn't wear that costume. But secondly, even if he wasn't right, I should have listened to him. I should have listened to him when he called me out instead of arguing. Because in that conversation, I was totally closed off to even the possibility that I could be wrong. As Christians, we know we're not perfect. Like, that's the whole story <laughs> of the Bible. But the posture of being open to correction is so important. And we see that in Psalm 139, uh, verses 23 and 24. It says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So if you remember, that is written by David, the man after God's own heart. And he's acknowledging that even he could have blind spots or hidden sins. So when it comes to conversations about race, breaking the status quo would be not getting defensive when we're called out and instead be willing to let God test our thoughts and see if there's any offensive way in us. Because um, we don't want racism to be in us. We don't want racism in any form. That includes white supremacy, anti-blackness, biases, colorism, stereotypes. We don't want these things to go unchecked in our hearts and minds. So being open to correction makes space for God to reveal those sins to us when they're there, when we become slower to take offense and quicker to confess and repentance when it is needed, then we're really changing the conversation. Um, but it's also a great space for us to show love to others in these conversations because when we are open to correction, we're more willing to extend the grace and forgiveness to others when they mess up. So, and I love this quote um, by Austin Souter, who says, church should be the safest place to speak about the difficult matters of race and racism. It should be the safest place to point out blind spots. Christians should be the most ready to hear, listen, empath empathize, and be willing to change for the sake of brothers and sisters. That's what the church should be. That's what we want. And when Esther was open to correction, it helped her to receive Mordecai's wisdom. But if she doesn't do that, she misses out on seeing what God can do through her. So God uses Esther's posture to help her change her mind and become someone who's 
willing to act for justice. So, so the second posture we want to have is being open to correction. Before Esther approaches the king, she announces a three-day period of fasting and prayer. She wants to get ready um, because she's no, she knows she's endangering her life and her position. And in studying her story and just you know, Esther's life, it struck me how much discomfort she had already faced prior to this point. She was an orphan. She was a Jew in exile, like I said. She's been hiding her background. She's faced sexism and been forced into marriage. And yet, at this point, this little bit of privilege that she does gain in becoming the queen actually insulates her from this new injustice. Comfort was initially a barrier to Esther participating in justice. But she does come to the point where she can say, if I perish, I perish. You know, speaking about being uncomfortable, um, there was this time in college, you know, years and years ago, years and years and years ago. <laughs> um, you know, I was in a group discussion about, you know, ethnic identities and stuff like that. And I was just really to our struggling to articulate my background and identity. You know, I'm mixed, I'm biracial. And it was kind of slowing the discussion down. And I was like feeling uncomfortable about that. And then another student in the group actually got frustrated with me and was just kind of like snap, like, come on. And, you know, I was already uncomfortable, but then that reaction really hit me. And I basically shut down, and I was just not really involved in the conversation after that. I missed out on the conversation because I let discomfort take control. And, you know, our culture has given us a really strong aversion to comfort. We like being comfortable. Um, we, we avoid uncomfortable situations. But at the same time, if you've ever taken on a sport, learned a new activity, exercised, you know that staying comfortable can be a hindrance. We don't grow when we're comfortable. And breaking the status quo is going to be uncomfortable. Like, that's inherently uncomfortable. And for many of us, the status quo is not talking about race. <laughs> we avoid those conversations because they are so uncomfortable and they can be so hard. But remaining in these conversations can actually be an act of love. Sacrificing our comfort means not running away from others when things get messy. And by leaning into discomfort, we can actually make it useful for us. Discomfort is telling us that something deeper is going on. Like, discomfort is never the issue. There's always something behind it. We could be feeling fear or insecurity, anger, confusion, shame, or it could be the Holy Spirit trying to convict us. And for Esther, she learned to lean into discomfort through prayer and fasting. You know, fasting is a spiritual act of basically making yourself uncomfortable so that you can be reminded of your need for God. It's a training exercise. It trains us to become more reliant on God for our help and comfort. And if Esther is not willing to endure the relatively small discomfort of fasting, 
there is no way that she's going to be willing to sacrifice her life. So God uses Esther's willingness to sacrifice her comfort to transform her into someone who would sacrifice everything for others, for justice. So the third posture we really need to have is being willing to sacrifice our comfort as we enter into these conversations about race and justice. So as we're wrapping up here, (laughs) having better, more loving conversations about race is so important. And it's what we want moving forward here at Baseline because we're going to keep having these conversations. So we want them to be good. (laughs) We want them to be good. Um, So our curiosity, our openness to correction, and our willingness to sacrifice comfort are postures that God can use to transform us in these conversations. But it doesn't end there. Conversations are not the end goal. Um, We have been called to do justice and to do the ministry of reconciliation. Brenda Salter McNeil says, you will know you are on a true reconciliation journey if it is messy and complicated and beautiful and transformational. So yeah, these conversations can be hard and doing justice can be hard, but we want to be on this journey. Like we want to be on this journey, even if it's messy, complicated, because we know it's beautiful and transformational. So with that in mind, I just want to leave us with a couple of questions and challenges for going forward this week. Um, First, who are the Mordecais in your life who have been inviting you into these conversations, who've been trying to point you towards justice? And what would it look like this week to have a conversation with them? to engage with them, and hopefully use these postures to maybe have a better conversation than you've been having, and to just listen. And then secondly, um, you know, Mordecai reminds Esther that she had a choice. She had a choice whether to act or not. He says, who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Like how many times in the last 18 months, two years, Have you or you heard someone question like, why is this happening? Why is all this craziness happening? Why us? Why now? And I just believe that the God of justice is at work. And we are the ones who have this chance to join in his work now, today, for such a time as this. So may we be willing to do so. So I'm just going to close us in prayer right now. I'm just going to read an old prayer over us today. Give us grace, O God, to dare to do the deed which we well know cries to be done. Let us not hesitate because of ease or the words of men's mouths or our own lives. Mighty causes are calling us, the freeing of women, the training of children, the pulling down of hate and murder and poverty, all these and more. But they call with the voices that mean work and sacrifice and death. Mercifully grant us, O God, the spirit of Esther, that we say, I will go unto the king, and if I perish, I perish. Amen. 
thank you for joining us. For more information about Baseline Community Church, please go to BaselineCC.com.